Welcome to Project Action on Podcast One, coming at you from the Polaris Razor Studio. I'm your host, Jim Beaver, just like I am each and every week. Thanks to all you guys for keeping it locked and loaded here to uh, your favorite podcast for all things action. Uh, This week we got uh, an amazing guest, somebody I think you guys are going to absolutely love, Ava Shockey, who uh, is also dropping a book this week that you guys should check out called Taking Aim. Uh, but Ava Shockey, uh, basically, she is the f- female face of the hunting industry. Um, she's a TV personality on the Outdoor Channel. Uh, obviously, she's an author. She's a huntress. Um, you know, she does a lot of uh, cooking and uh, uh, social media celebrity. I think she's got like three million social media followers or something like that. Definitely uh, somebody you should be checking out. But we sat down her- with her for uh, a good 30, 40 minutes and uh, knocked out an interview that I think you guys are going to absolutely love talking about outdoors, hunting, uh, you know, being on TV. Uh, you know, a little bit of politics. It's uh, it's an amazing interview, and uh, if you like the outdoors, I think you're going to really love this. Also talk some social media and some marketing, and, uh, you know, we like to talk that here on Project Action on Podcast One. Um, but, uh, yeah, thanks to all you guys, man. We're still pumping in the numbers there on uh, – on iTunes, one of the top-rated sports podcasts in iTunes. Uh, we couldn't do it without you guys. Uh, you know, thank you for everybody that's rated, reviewed, subscribed to this and my other show, the Down and Dirty Radio Show. Uh, much appreciated. Uh, seriously, man, uh, couldn't do it without you guys. Please continue to do that. And as always, if you leave uh, your Twitter or Instagram at username in the body of the review, um, I will follow you back when I see that pop up on iTunes there. But I do have a big, big favor to ask of you this week, and it'll be next week as well Um, but uh, right now on podcast one they've got their uh, semi-annual survey that comes out right and you guys are like oh man I don't want to take another survey Jimmy seriously really you're asking us to take a survey yes I am and even if you guys took it six months ago thank you for doing that but it seriously takes a couple of minutes of your time all you have to do is go to podcastone.com right there on the front page it's like big bold letters literally literally it's the only thing you can see it says survey please click on that Take their survey. And when you take that survey, I need to ask you a favor. If you listen to this podcast, obviously you're listening, please check the box for Project Action. And uh, please check the box uh, for Down and Dirty Show if you listen to that show as mine as well. But we need you guys to check those boxes. I need to get those surveys filled out. I need like 100 responses. So uh, thanks to all you guys who have done that. I know we've got a few of them uh, coming in. Uh, but please uh, continue to do so. Uh, you know, in uh, next two weeks I'm going to be asking you guys. But it's a big favor. Uh, literally, we can't keep this podcast going if we don't have partners and if we don't and we get those partners through these surveys so we know what kind of demographics. You know, no personal questions. It's anonymous. It's not like you're going to get email spam, anything like that. Completely anonymous survey. I just, uh, you know, we don't ask for any names. We don't ask for uh, email addresses, nothing. But uh, I need to get some surveys. So please go to podcastone.com. Don't forget to check the box for Down and Dirty Show and Project Action, uh, most importantly. So thanks to everybody who has done that. Um, it, uh, it is very, very much appreciated. 
right? And, uh, you know, another thing that is appreciated is if you go and check out my good friends at Zip Recruiter. Uh, you know, have you guys been to Zip Recruiter in a while? I don't know if you have or not, but you need to go back over there, uh, especially if you're uh, looking to hire, right? Uh, I look to hire all the time with my various businesses, and uh, I found that Zip Recruiter is the best place uh, to post your job and find the best candidates. With Zip Recruiter, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites with just one click. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. That's why Zip Recruiter is different, unlike other job sites. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. Just one day. Seriously. No juggling emails or calls to your office. You simply screen, rate, manage candidates all in one place place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. So find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, that's right, I'm going to throw a bonus in here. Right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's F-R-E-E, free. That's right. I'm giving you guys something for free. That's right. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Beaver. That's my last name. ZipRecruiter.com slash Beaver. One more time, it's ZipRecruiter.com slash Beaver, and you can try it for free. So, uh, yeah, so I've been busy. Uh, obviously, we've been uh, killing it. Hopefully, you guys went and listened to uh, my interview last week uh, with Rick Roman Waugh here on Project Action. If you missed that, uh, you need to. And then the week before that, we had Courtney Force and Bryce Menzies in some amazing interviews. So uh, last two weeks, we've just literally shredded it here on Project Action. But uh, last week, uh, Rick Roman Waugh, he's the director and writer for a movie called Shot Caller. Uh, you definitely want to check that out. An amazing movie that's uh, hitting theaters as well as, uh, I think, think direct tv on demand right now um or last week so uh, definitely check that out <clears throat> good movie and check out that interview man we talked about the u.s prison system and a bunch of other stuff amazing interview but uh even more important than that last week I had the honor of uh racing vegas torino probably my seventh eighth time racing vegas torino it's an off-road race longest off-road race in the country like 550 miles long right but with this Polaris Razor Star Car project, I brought in my good friends, Jolene Van Vuch, teams with me all the time, uh, and Travis Pastrana. That's right, Mr. TP199. Travis Pastrana was my teammate there at, uh, at Vegas Torino. And I got to tell you, we had an absolutely amazing time in the Razor Star Car. Please go check it out on my social media and Travis's and Jolene's. We've been punching out a bunch of content. We had some amazing uh, – we had some amazing film crews there, journalists, and uh, we had a ton of fun driving across the entire state of Nevada last week, uh, racing this Polaris Razor XP1000. So uh, I think you guys are definitely going to enjoy that. Social media is pumped out. We got two full-length kind of documentaries coming out on this race. They'll probably be a couple of weeks away. So uh, definitely, you know, be looking for those. But uh, I got to tell you, we had such an amazing time. Travis absolutely loved desert racing, and I think uh, we're going to have him back in that car at some point in time. I'm almost uh, almost for certain. So uh, definitely check that out and uh, check out all the content we've been pumping out and uh, be on the lookout for, uh, for those full-length videos uh, when they drop in the next couple of weeks. And uh, speaking of the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be on the road. Uh, I'm obviously in the office here and in the studio the next uh, week or two. But uh, then I go to Crandon over Labor Day weekend for the off-road world championship red bull signature series i'm going to be a host and dropping uh some podcasts and radio from there so uh so please be on the lookout for that on my social media when they drop and uh you know on my rss feed 
uh, you know, they're on iTunes, uh, you know, but uh, it's going to be fun, man. We're going to catch up with some of the best off-road drivers in the world, and uh, we're going to have a whole lot of fun in Cranon, Wisconsin over Labor Day weekend. Then the following weekend, I'm off to Heydays in Minnesota, one of the biggest power sports festivals of the year, the kickoff to snowmobile seasons, the kickoff to Terracross Championship. So I'm going to be there at Heydays in Minnesota as well. So it's like a Midwest swing for me between Cranon and Heydays, but uh, back-to-back, a couple of epic events. I can't wait for that, and uh, we'll be pumping out podcasts and radio the entire time I'm back there. So I think you guys that are listeners, you're going to love that as well. So uh, lots coming up for me, um, you know, but uh, as always, you know, keep me in the loop what you guys are thinking, uh, what you guys are feeling about some of these interviews. Uh, you know, it's I always like, you know, guest suggestions. I know we, we got a bunch of action sports guests coming out up. We've kind of done the Hollywood thing, done some outdoors people. You know, it comes in swings here on Project Action. You never know. Uh, uh, you know, where we're headed. Um, but uh, I got to tell you, man, Game of Thrones season finale this weekend, massive McGregor and Mayweather. That's going to be massive. I mean, we got a couple of probably the biggest events in TV history coming up this weekend. And uh, I, I, I got to tell you, I'm going to be glued to my TV, <laughs> that's for sure. Cold beer in one hand and the remote in the other. I don't know. I probably won't be flipping the channel. I don't know about remote. But uh, we're definitely going to be uh, maybe the grill. Maybe I'll have, uh, you know, maybe I'll have my grill tools in one hand. Uh, yeah, I might, I might move the barbecue to the backyard this weekend. I think that's a good idea. Uh, or bring, bring the TV to the backyard. Obviously, the barbecue's in the backyard. But uh, I don't know. But a lot of good stuff coming up this weekend. I'm sure we're going to get into that next week on Project Action, uh, talking some Game of Thrones as well as some uh, uh, McGregor and Mayweather. Mayweather, McGregor, however you want to put it. But, uh, yeah, let me know who you guys' picks are. What do you think is going to happen with Game of Thrones 1? Who do you think is going to win the fight? At Beaver 15 on Twitter. I'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, that's for sure. But uh, we got this amazing interview with Ava Shockey coming up. But I do have to tell you about a couple of our amazing partners here on Project Action on Podcast One from the Polaris Razor Studio before I get to that. And, uh, you know, when you're looking to buy a car, you want to make sure that you're getting real pricing on actual inventory. Unfortunately, a lot of times this isn't the case. People configure cars online only to find out they're not available. Seriously, it's like a unicorn. Uh, but with TrueCar, you get real pricing on actual inventory. This is not pricing offered by TrueCar, but from an actual dealer. And not just any dealer, but a dealer that TrueCar has certified, a.k.a. a TrueCar certified dealer. This is a carefully curated network of dealers committed to transparency and offering you a competitive market price. Using TrueCar, you can easily find the car you want. TrueCar will show you what other people in your area paid for that car you're looking for. So now you will feel what price is fair and you can feel confident. That's right. The guy down the street that bought that brand new Subaru that you really like, you'll know what he paid for it. Over 3 million cars have been sold to TrueCar users through the certified dealer network and there's over 13,000 TrueCar certified dealers nationwide. You'll work directly with a TrueCar certified dealer contact and users are more likely to enjoy a faster buying process when they connect with TrueCar certified dealers. And users can save over $3,000 off of MSRP. Who doesn't want $3,000 in their pocket? I know I do. Uh, so when you're ready to buy, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. And then you know what? You get your brand new car through the TrueCar certified dealer network. And then you know what you need? You need some insurance. But you know what? I have you handled. Right. That's right. With GEICO. 
Everybody's got a to-do list. Drop off the dry cleaning, pick up some milk. Here's an idea. Let's add save hundreds of dollars on car insurance. And the good thing is you don't have to drop off or pick up anything. All you have to do is go to Geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could be saving 15% or more on car insurance. Extra money in your pocket? It just may be the most rewarding thing that you do today. I'm telling you, man, between True Car and Geico, going to be saving thousands, and uh, you know, and you're saving time as well. It's kind of like a one-two quick, boom, boom, double punch. I like it. Um, deliver the knockout blow, right? But uh, yeah, speaking of the knockout blow, uh, my guest this week, Ava Shockey, she knows all about knocking things down generally with a rifle or a bow and arrow, but uh, she's pretty good shot, and I can't wait to get to that interview right after these messages from Podcast One. Hey, I'm Jordan Rogers. And I'm Luke Rogers. And we're the hosts of Sports Related. And we're brothers. We're going to bring the thunder. You're going to leave smarter. We're going to drop mind grenades. We're going to mm. carpet bomb your brain mm. with sports and culture. And if you're a guy, you're going to get in touch with your feminine side. If you're a girl, you're going to like sports. If you already like sports, you're going to know how to talk about sports. Even if you don't like sports, you're going to learn how to talk about sports. We're going to bring it, and we're going to bring it hard. You're going to get to know us a little bit, too. The embarrassing background stories. Luke pooping his pants as a grown adult. Yep. It happened. I'll share it. It's not a good story. <laughs> but join us because we're going to give you something to take away every week. Remember to download new episodes every Friday at the Podcast One app or subscribe to Apple Podcasts or PodcastOne.com. All right. I'd like to welcome my guest for this week to Project Action to the Line. We've got Ava Shockey. And uh, before we get into things, I've got to ask you, because I know a couple days ago you posted on social media, elk jalapeno poppers. I am a big popper fan. I've done all kinds of different things with poppers, but never tried elk. i got to tell you, were those as good as they looked? They were so much better than they looked. I cannot even describe it. The leftovers the next day, I was almost crying when I finished them. Yeah, they just, uh, they looked absolutely amazing. I'm like, man, I've, I've literally, I've got so much elk in the freezer, and immediately I saw that. I'm like, all right, I know what's happening this weekend. We're we're making some elk and jalapeno poppers. So. That's exactly what how I start, started making those in the first place, because I've never heard of elk jalapeno poppers or deer or anything. It's usually dove or something of that sort. And that's, originally I made them with dove, and then I ran out of dove, and I was going, oh, those are so good. There's got to be another way to make them. So I ended up experimenting with a few things, and the elk, I, I would say it's probably actually better than the dove. Yeah, I, I'm. I don't know. I'm, I'm not crazy about doves so much. I mean, I love dove hunting, but normally I usually give. Well, I've got some friends that absolutely love it, and I've tried it so many different ways. And it's not that it's bad. I'm just not a massive fan of it. I mean, sometimes you just. I don't know. You know, it's one of those things. But elk, I'm a massive fan of that. So uh, uh, I don't. You got to get creative with a lot of your recipes, though. I mean, I know that's kind of one of your things. I mean, how, how do you create these? Just kind of off the top of your head, you just kind of have some fun in the kitchen, or what? Basically, well, I mean, I guess if, as far as the poppers go, you could wrap anything in bacon and cheese and jalapeno and it would taste, you could have a, a rubber boot and it would probably still taste good with that recipe. But the rest of the stuff that I make, I've kind of just grown up eating wild game. That's what I grew up with. That's what was in our freezer. That's all I ever really knew up until I left home and went to university. So I'm just used to experimenting with it. You basically can... I would say pretty close. You can just use it instead of using beef, and you just have to add a bit more fat usually because there's, it's so lean. There's no fat on the meat. Um, but I pretty much just put it in everything, and 99% of the time it tastes great, and then 1% of the time maybe it's a little bit of a miss, and then I adjust a few things and try it again. Yeah, well, and that was me. I mean, uh, I grew up in a hunting family, you know what I mean? So it was 
Um, you know, th there was always deer, antelope, elk, you know, I I fish. I mean, my dad went up to Alaska, so we always had halibut and salmon. And, you know, it was one of those things where I, I just grew up on that. So, you know, it's it, to me, it's second nature. And, you know, you meet people that didn't grow up like that, like we did. And it's, you know, and, and they're like, you know, you invite them over and you're making like elk burgers or something. They're like, well, I don't know that I want to try that. I'm like, just try it. It's good. You know, but it's it's yeah. like people have this like almost like a taboo, like, oh, my gosh. And I'm like, no, seriously, try it. It's really good. You know, but it's I don't know. You come across that a lot where people are just kind of like it's like you're weird or something. I'm like, no, we're not really. I promise. Absolutely. And I, re I remember when I was younger and I would cook wild game, but I would kind of apologize for it. So if people were coming over, I'd ask them in advance, is it okay if I have elk or deer or whatever for dinner? And now I'm like, you know, if they're coming over my house, they know who I am. First of all, usually they're coming over as a friend and I'm going to cook it because I know it tastes good. And if in their head, maybe they're a little bit apprehensive about it, but the minute they actually give it a chance and taste it, I've never had anyone say, Oh yeah, no, this doesn't taste good. <laughs> like this is what I was expecting it. It always, they end up leaving. Usually I send them home with some ground meat or elk tenderloins or something so they can make it at home after. And that's part of the fun of experimenting and spreading the word a little bit to people that they're not all, all lucky enough to grow up like we did with wild game in their freezer. So I like to, share it and pass it along a little bit more yeah and i know that it's kind of been fun with me too because it's almost like a gateway sometimes into the industry you know you can grab something mm -hmm. and like oh this is this is really good you know and it's one of those things where it's not like you can go to the supermarket i mean you know and buy it so it's kind of like i've noticed you know and i've got a couple of friends that you know got into hunting strictly because of that you know and it's it's almost like you can have a good barbecue and almost gateway people into this great amazing industry you know it's <laughs> like it can open their eyes to things and you can make friends. The amount of friends I've made from serving them wild game of various descriptions is incredible. I mean, that's pretty much how I make my friends in the first place. Yeah, right. So how was it you uh, with you? I mean, growing up, obviously, you know, everybody knows your dad and, and you know, and how was it you growing up in this industry? I mean, because I know you really didn't go on your first hunt to what you were like 20 years old, right? I mean, what, uh, yeah. you, you know, how, how did that kind of happen? Because obviously you were exposed to it at a young age, but you know, a lot of kids would have picked a gun up at, you know, 10, 12, gone on their first hunt, you know, and you, it took a little bit longer for you to kind of move into that role. It did. Yeah. And I, I went on hunts my whole life. I would go on the trips with my, with my dad and he would bring my whole family. So we would be traveling and, you know, be in hunting camp and that kind of thing. So I was definitely exposed to it and I enjoyed everything else about it. I just never wanted to hunt myself. And my mom um, to this day is not a hunter and never has and never will be. And I think I probably saw that as my role model, which she still is 100%, but I saw her, she's very feminine and classy and she was a professional ballet jazz dancer. And I just thought, well, if I want to be a lady like my mom, then I can't hunt like my dad. You know, I don't want people to think I'm a boy or think I'm a tomboy or anything like that and um, or a tom girl, I guess. <laughs> and I, so I kind of went the direction of my mom and I was a competitive dancer and I taught dance and I did every sport in the book and I went on the hunting trips and the family trips. I just never hunted because I was scared of that stereotype. And I think, I guess I was just younger and not quite as self-confident as I am now. And I, took me a few years and I realized as I got, you know, past those slightly awkward teenage years, I got some more self-confidence and said, you know what, I can go, I've always wanted to hunt. I just look a little scared of what people would think about it. And I don't have to apologize for being feminine. And when I started hunting, I was teaching dance. So I was about the two most extremes you could be. I was teaching dance 
during the day and then I'd go hunting for a couple of weeks and come back and teach dance again. And I, I love the juxtaposition of those two lifestyles. And to this day, I still do them. I mean, I still love being feminine and girly and it just took me a little while, a little while to realize that you don't have to be one or the other. You can just be whoever you are. And nowadays the industry is just exploding with female hunters. And I think that's incredible, but we just didn't really have that when I was growing up. I didn't, I didn't really see any, female hunters that I could look up to and um, kind of follow and use as my role models. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and, you know, I know your, your first hunt or your first kill is pretty well documented. I think it was on TV, right. You know, and it was a very emotional <laughs> thing and, and, you know, and I don't think a lot of people realize that because I'm trying to, you know, I was thinking back, you know, reading your story and stuff back to my first hunt. And I think it was, I may have been, I'd been on some hunts, but I think I got my first, my first kill. It was an elk and I think maybe 15, 16, um, but it's, it's very emotional and people don't realize that. And, and I was, I mean, my dad was there with me, but you know, obviously we didn't have any cameras. We had a camera that we, you know, shot pictures with, but we didn't have a camera crew following us. But, um, I think it's emotional for anybody. It's, you know, when, when you see this amazing, beautiful animal and all of a sudden, you know, it's given its life for you. I mean, it, it's an emotional, you know, thing the first time you take an animal. And, and I think that's one of the things I really like is that, you know, you were, you know, the good and the bad of it was is you were there in the raw and your emotions were on display, you know, but I think that's true for most hunters. I mean, that, that first kill, it's a very emotional, emotional time. It definitely is. And even on that first hunt that I went on it, um, going into it, I decided I wanted to try hunting, but I was really genuinely, I just was trying it. I wasn't at that point in my life, I had no intention of being on the TV show more than just having to do that one trip. And I was just saying, I'm going to go. And if I can't pull the trigger, I can't pull the trigger. And I'm going to let myself be okay with that. And I just didn't, because I had never hunted and I have a very soft heart. I love animals as does every other hunter. But at the time I wasn't sure if I'd be able to pull the trigger. And that's all documented because it is very emotional. And I was going, as we were just talking about, I was going on my first hunt for a big part of it because I wanted to be able to fill my freezer with meat and be able to eat wild game. And I realized when I moved away from home after or after high school, before university, unless I go hunting myself or live right next door to my parents, it's pretty much impossible to fill my freezer with wild game because you can't go buy it. So that was sort of the transitioning step of if I'm going to fill my freezer, I need to be able to be a hunter and like, can I do this? And I'm going to go try it because if I don't try it now, I'm always going to regret not trying it. And I obviously did try it. And I obviously loved it because almost 10 years later, this is my entire life and my entire career. And it was the best decision I ever made. But yeah, it was that first step into the world of hunting and pulling the trigger myself. There's a lot of emotions going on. But if you can see the big picture and realize it's you know, you're raising money for conservation, it's healthy, it's outdoors, you're with family, it's a good thing in your life. And at the end of the day, if you get one, you can fill your freezer and provide for yourself and your family. If you think of all those things, um, you can probably see those emotions going through me at the time on that first trip. It's definitely worth every minute. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's funny because you mentioned, uh, you know, conservationism and things like that. And I know uh, just about a month ago, I had Jason Hairston from Kuyu. Uh, I had an interview with him and, and he said a lot of things like you did. It's 
It's funny. I feel like, you know, hunters in general, you know, th there's people that don't understand the industry and don't understand that, um, you know, we're some of the most environmentally minded and, uh, you know, and, and all about animal rights, you know, most hunters are. I mean, th there's always that small group, you know, the, the bad apples, but I'd say nine times out of 10, I mean, some of us are the most, you know, environmentally minded and, and you know, and as far as you know, anything having to do with animals in the outdoors. And I, I feel like, you know, it's one thing I've really liked about you is you've kind of pushed that to the forefront. And it's like, hey, we, we you know, we do things the proper way. And, and it's, and you really do give back. And, it, and it's, you know, and it's healthy for, for the industry and things like that. You know, and I, I feel like there's people that don't know the industry well enough to know that hey, we are doing some good things. And I think without, you know, the hunters giving back that we do, I think, you know, there's a lot of, you know, wild animals and things like that, that, uh, you know, a lot of the money that we generate, we donate back. And I don't think people realize that because that money gets put to good use. And without us, I don't, I, I don't think that it would be there. I don't know where it would come from, you know? Yeah. I mean, hunters, and I say this over and over again to people, hunters are the single biggest group of conservationists on this planet. We've done the most for wildlife management, habitat management than any other group on earth. So I do think it's sort of ironic when anti-hunters come at us and try to get us essentially to stop hunting and you're, you want to just look at them and be like, shake them a little bit and be like, you guys, if, if we stop hunting, if hunters are not allowed to hunt and we're not buying tags, we're not putting money into conservation and protecting all these animals that you guys think, you know, we're doing harm to, at the end of the day, these animals are going to be way worse off without us as hunters. I mean, we, we hunt one animal, we protect 100 or we hunt one, we protect 2000, whatever it is. And anti-hunters, I would love if they could understand that because I know that if they really sat down and saw the numbers and saw the difference that we're making in animal, um, you know, just prote protection, I guess, in the, in the grand scheme of things, they would realize, oh, actually what hunters are doing is a wonderful, positive um, thing to, to, these, to these creatures on Earth. And I just, it, it kind of hurts me when, the, when they don't see that, but... The more people you can kind of tell about it, whether it's on this podcast or in your day-to-day -day life, that's what I, and I do it on social media every day. I try to just get that across. I try to show people that without, you know, I'm not forcing them to be a hunter. And I, my mom does not hunt, as I mentioned. And so I'm one to strongly believe that hunting is not for everyone. I don't think everyone should be a hunter or, or should go pull a trigger and think that they're going to immediately love it. But I would love everyone on earth to understand what hunting is about and, how positive and what a great thing it is yeah well and I guess in your case I know the first time I'd really it, it kind of heard your name was a few years back but uh you know this kind of goes with the whole anti-hunting thing but uh you know it was the whole you know I guess I guess when somebody goes viral sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad in your case it was the black bear you know and, and you had those comments from the anti-hunter and things like that but uh I think you really spun that into a positive you know you, you were kind of getting attacked and I think Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. 
it really it one it put you on the map, but two it did it in a in a very good way, you know. And, very I think, and I think the way that you presented yourself in it, you know what I mean, was was very positive for the hunting industry, you know, when somebody's coming at you, you know. And and you feel like that was kind of a big, uh, um, you know, that that was a big um, I, I don't want to say milestone, but it was a big point in your career, right? It was, and it was something. So I don't know if everyone listening knew what happened exactly, but I went on a hunt in North Carolina for black bears. Um, a farmer, actually, a local farmer contacted my dad and I asked us to come hunt and bring a little bit of awareness to how much damage these black bears are doing to the farmer's crops and to the machinery, and they're overpopulated. They're getting People are getting in accidents on roads because there's so many black bears, and their people are crashing their cars, and people are dying because of it, and the black bears are demolishing their crops and this is a livelihood for farmers and they're breaking machinery and we saw it firsthand all the damage that these there's just too many for the area it's not sustainable so they were trying to get hunters in because if hunters didn't come to the area and you know pay for a tag pay for a license have all that money go towards conservation from those things the farmers themselves to keep their livelihood of their farms going they had um, I guess they were depredation permits and they were allowed to go shoot the bears out of season a certain amount I don't know exactly know what number and they but the rule was they had to just leave them there they weren't allowed to go use the meat they weren't allowed to go skin them and use them for other purposes they just had to do it for depredation and they shot them and left them in the field and I mean farmers have big hearts too and they didn't want to do that they wanted to see money come from this towards the economy they wanted to see conservation come out of it um, so they got hunters to come in and that's what our role was so right off the bat what we were doing was a really positive thing and we went and um, my dad and I both hunted two big beautiful or each hunted one um, two total big beautiful black bears bigger than I've ever hunted and I posted it on social media like I always do so I mean I share my adventures and my travels and my trips and I posted it and I went to sleep and I woke up in the morning and I my whole phone was just out of control there were just messages and posts and comments I think I had 5,000 death threats in one day over the next few days um, it just got bigger and bigger and that's what you're mentioning it, it kind of blew up the blaze picked it up box and friends picked it up box business and Fox News all picked it up and I just remember that week going I'm not really sure what just happened yeah. I don't know I guess people see bears as these cute, cuddly animals, and the fact is, they're not like that. I mean, they kill each other, they kill people, they have, they get overpopulated, and I guess that's it's not their fault they're overpopulated, but we as humans, we need to control how many animals are in areas if we're going to keep building up and having more urbanization. So I went and dealt with that, and I guess that was the turning point where I talked to my dad a lot about it and I could have very easily just turned off my Facebook account, you know, shut everything down for a couple of weeks, let everything calm down and, you know, come back quietly and then just keep posting like I always did. But I just figured that that was the ch our chance as hunters to speak out and say, you know, what we're doing is good and exactly what we're talking about on this podcast. We support hunting, we support conservation, and I told the story of what was happening with the bears and why we were there, and that I didn't know how it was going to go. I didn't know people were going to come to my defense by any means. I was just standing up for what I believed in, and I guess that was the right move because over the next few months, I mean, I had millions of people supporting, and I just, it was so inspiring to see how many people understood and um, got what we were doing, and the sort of, I, I think I changed a few minds along the way, which was my, that was my goal. 
Yeah, you know, and, and, you know, that kind of pushed you to the forefront. And I know now, you know, you've got so many titles in the industry and things like that, and uh, I'm sure you get a chuckle at some of them. But you've kind of become, you know, the, the female face of the industry. And, I mean, I know growing up, I mean, uh, like you said, I mean, it, hunting to me was like a family thing. I mean, my mom wasn't a hunter, but she'd go and she'd support us. I mean, my sister, you know, she shot, and, you know, she's a big hunter now. But I feel like even back then, you know, it was kind of one of the – I don't want to say it was taboo, but it just like, you know, people look at them like, oh, you're a girl, you don't hunt. You know, but now I feel like it's like, you know, she – it's very accepted now, and I, I think people like you have, have really kind of – um, I don't know if it's not like there was a glass ceiling there now, but it, now it's become like socially acceptable, you know, and things like that. I mean, do you, I, I've seen this big shift, especially in the past 10, 15 years, you know, that it, where, you know, you see, you know, the female side of the industry just exploding, you know, and now, you know, you've got, you know, female, you know, all the, you know, all these, you know, gear and, and clothing and things tailored to the female side of the industry. I mean, that's got to be, uh, it's got to make you feel pretty special to be able to help, you know, kind of blaze that trail. It does. It's, it's not that I feel special as in, I feel so cool for doing anything. I just feel so proud that females in general have stood up and said, you know, like we love hunting and yeah, maybe it's not traditional for females to be out there way back in the day when it started, but really at this point in life, who really cares? We can, we can love what we love and not have to really make an excuse or apologize for that. And over the years, absolutely. It's been, the change is just incredible to have watched because I grew up in the hunting industry, even though I was not a hunter when I was young, I grew up going to all the big conventions and SHOT Show and SDI and all those where hunters from all around the world come. And I just, I remember being a young girl with my mom and we'd be there with my dad and my brother. And we were two of the only females in the room. And the only other girls that were there generally were just wives of the hunters of the husbands who loved to hunt. And they were kind of just accompanying them. And now I go to these shows and I swear it's probably pretty close to 50, 50 boys to or men to women. And, or, and especially one of the cooler things is this pretty close to 50-50 young boys to young girls. So there's all these young girls coming up now at the age when I was too insecure to admit that I wanted to try hunting. And they are so proud to hunt. They come up with their cowboy boots and their bows in their hand for me to sign. And they say, oh, you know, I started watching you on your dad's hunting show. And now I started hunting with my dad. And that is one of the most incredible things um, to hear it's, it makes me so happy and I, I say to my dad and to my husband if everything tomorrow if everything just stopped if my social media page shut down and our tv show got canceled and every platform I have to speak out just ended I would actually be okay just knowing that there's so many girls that had someone to see um and feel like oh if Eva can do it I can do it and I feel very proud of that and I would just be happy to just go on with no cameras for the rest of my life and just go enjoy the woods like everybody else yeah well it, but how cool is it that you know to think that you know you, you know your daughter now I mean is you know as she grows up you've got basically this whole portion of your life that has been documented you know with the tv cameras with your dad and things like that so you can tell her stories but at some point she can actually go back and she'll be able to watch them and i think that's what's really cool because she'll be able to see these stories that you're telling her you know and you've got this big portion of your life documented and i think that's what's really going to be cool for you and and your daughter is is she'll be able to experience that you know and not just hear things and and see the pictures 
Yeah, definitely. That's something that I appreciate every single day that I have um, in that same way. My dad, his life has been documented for the last 30 years. And also my grandfathers who are no longer with us, but they were a big part of our show, um, Jim Shockey's Hunting Adventures, which was on Outdoor Channel. They were a big part of that. Hal and Len, if anyone's watched probably five years and backwards, they were very big roles. And so I get to watch shows with them and I, they're not around anymore. And most people probably don't have that ability to watch so much footage of their um, past family members, but we do. And that was, that was actually a big reason why I just wrote a book. It's called Taking Aim. It comes out in um, a few weeks. And I, one of the major reasons why I actually sat down and took a chance and was quite vulnerable in writing this book, because it's not my specialty, I did it for my daughter and for hopefully if I have future children, because that's something that in 20 years when I'm trying to say, um, you know, this is what the hunting industry was like back then. These are my stories. Instead of me telling her, she can go and pick up my book and it will still be hopefully on shelves somewhere. Or if not, it'll be dusty in our attic. <laughs> she can go pick it up and say, oh, this is the story that my mom was trying to tell people and trying to encourage people to get out there and enjoy the outdoors. And I mean, it's, there's really nothing else like it. You can tell stories as much as you want, but if you have something that you, they can pick up in 20 years or look at, watch in 20 years, I think that's such a cool thing. You just you won't have that ability unless you think about doing it now. Yeah. Well, I, I got to ask you, we'll go back to the book here in a, in a minute because I definitely want to talk about that. But I know um, both on the cover of uh, Field and Stream, which uh, was an amazing honor for you, but also on the cover of, uh, of your book, you're, you're, holding a, you know, you're holding a bow. So I, I got to ask, I mean, you, you know, there, there's a lot of people who do both. I mean, obviously, you're kind of drawn to the bow. What, what drew you that direction? I mean, you've got rifle hunters, you've got bow hunters, you've got people that do both. I mean, uh, you know, but you, it seems like you kind of lean towards the bow. I mean, how, how did that... Uh, you know, what, what drew you that direction? I got to ask. I grew up, my, the first gun that I learned how to shoot was a muzzleloader. Um, that's a traditional firearm, and it only has one shot, and that's what my dad was known for. That's kind of how he made his name in the industry. And so just naturally, that was what I learned how to use, and I appreciate using that a lot because, like I said, there is only one shot. You can't, you don't have a magazine. You can't reload quickly like a rifle, and so every all those animals I started hunting at the beginning, instead of in my mind thinking, oh, I'm going to take a shot and then I'll back it up with another shot. I had to always be like, I better take one shot and that has to work. Otherwise I don't have a backup shot. So I really was very careful with my shot placement. I was very careful about learning the breathing techniques and making sure I was comfortable and turning down shots that weren't perfect for me. Um, and that was something I appreciate. I don't really use a muzzleloader very often anymore. I went to a rifle after that and I love it. I love rifle hunting. I mean, that's just, that's how I grew up was gun hunting. And then in the last probably five years, I've got quite a bit more serious about bow hunting. I find it very challenging and it's something mentally, I find probably the most mentally challenging thing I've ever done just because there's nothing that compares. I was just talking about this with my husband and my dad the other day. There's nothing that we, any of us have ever experienced, including my husband was a professional hockey player. So he played in the NHL. There's no feeling that compares when you're bow hunting, you're sitting in a blind or in a tree stand and that deer, big buck that you've been waiting for walks in and you have to draw your bow back, stay calm and make a perfect shot. There's no feeling in the world that compares to that, which is crazy because I think someone that's never done it looks at you like, of course, there's, you know, there's harder things to do. But honestly, I don't know if there is. It's just an incredible thing. And it's sort of a high that you you're addicted to once you start getting that feeling you want to go get it again. And again, I, I hate it. I hate to uh, compare it to that, but that's how I imagine that feeling to be. 
So I've really picked up a bow a lot more, and I, I love I love shooting bow because it's something I do in my backyard almost every day just for fun, just to calm down, relax, spend some time with my husband. But then also when you're hunting, you can do that. But at, yeah, at the same time, people probably don't see me as much with a gun, but I, I do gun hunt probably 50% of the time. So I'm probably right down the middle. Yeah. Well, and, and I think whether, you know, you talk about that high you get and, and um, I got to confess, I, I'm not a bow hunter at all just because I'm absolutely a horrible shot with a bow. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I, you know, it's I, my brother-in-law is a massive bow hunter. I mean, I, I've got friends that are and I've just it's almost like a, it's a joke how bad I am. Right. But I'm, I'm so I kind of stick with a rifle. But I know it's one of those things, even with a rifle like that high, it's so hard to explain that to somebody when you know that animal walks in front of you you know out there and and you know with a rifle or, or a bow you get it in your crosshairs and you get it in your sights you know what I mean and you see it and you're about ready to pull the trigger and it's like I, I it's so hard to explain that to somebody that that high that you get but the adrenaline but you've got to keep calm at the same time and it's you know it's like this roller coaster and it's so hard to explain that to somebody who has never done that, you know, and I, I think it's so funny you bring that up because I, I feel the same way. It's like you explain it to people and they, they're like, what? Like, you know, like, what are you talking about? You know, and it's like, yeah, <laughs> oh. and it, it, I even find that I question myself. I think, you know, I have that feeling after a season or after a hunt. And I, for example, a couple of years ago, I, I got a white tail, a huge white tail bus in Saskatchewan with my bow. And I remember I was drawn back on this deer and I was sitting in a ground blind. I'm getting shivers just thinking about it. I was drawn back, and I remember thinking, if I don't release this arrow right now, I'm going to black out and pass out, and I'm going to fall with my boat full draw, and I don't know where it's going to go. And I remember shooting, and I ended up getting and make, making a good shot. But after that, you know, as that week went on, I, I started thinking, oh, it must not have been that bad. Maybe I must have been, you know, exaggerating, making it more dramatic. And then the next season, I went back and did it again and drew back. And I said, I need to shoot right now because my eyes are starting to glaze over. And I just, my whole body and emotions were just out of control. And that's something that I thought maybe, maybe that's just me. Maybe I can't control my emotions. And just last week, as I was saying, I was sitting with my dad and my husband, Tim, who my dad, I mean, he's been in crazy situations where your emotions are all over the place and then Tim my husband was a professional hockey player so he played in NHL arenas all over the world or all over all over North America and both of them agreed that there is no feeling like that when you're drawn back in an animal it's not just me they they also feel like they're going to black out and I just don't understand how that's possible that those emotions can happen to all of us but yeah, I mean, there bow hunting is just something that you have to try, and like you said, you're if you're a bad shot, it's something that I think we're all bad shots unless we keep practicing. Because yeah. even just having had my daughter seven months ago, I I didn't get to practice as much. I mean, I was very very pregnant at the end of hunting season, so I couldn't draw my bow. And then having a newborn, you just don't have as much time. So I've started getting back into it in the last month, and it's I'll agree with you. I mean, I am not a good shot like I was before. I really have to force myself to focus and. I'm I'm grouping back to how I was a little bit, but yeah, I just you lose it unless you get out there all the time and fling some arrows. Yeah, well, and speaking of your daughter and hunting season, I I gotta ask because I've read some stuff. I mean, you were you know it wasn't like you took any time off, right? I mean, you were hunting up until almost when you had her. I think eight months in, you were still sitting in a blind, right? <laughs> yeah, I went on my my last hunt when I was pregnant with her was oh yeah, it was just after eight months pregnant um, in Saskatchewan seven months I went on elk hunt at like 9,000 feet elevation, which wow. that was, that was a challenge. And I did get an elk and I 
scales just last. That was what I made my elk poppers with this week. <laughs> um, but yeah, I went I went pretty long with her. Although I, I mean, I hear about people all the time hunting way longer, but that was that was my last hunt with her. And then I after that, I was shooting my bow the odd time, but um, I didn't get on. <laughs> didn't do any nine and a half months pregnant hunts by any means. Yeah. Well, I got to ask too. I mean, we'll talk about taking aim, but I did mention earlier. Uh, I want to go back to field and stream, though, um, because I think it's it's an amazing honor that you had there. But uh, you know, a few years back, uh, I think it was the second time in the 119 year history of the magazine that a woman had been solo on the cover of Field and Stream magazine. And I think the only other time wasn't it like Queen Elizabeth, right? I mean, it, what an honor that was, was for you to be on the cover of Field and Stream. I mean, that's. Um, that really, you know, that, that is so empowering to women, I think, you know, especially that particular magazine in, in this industry. I mean, uh, you know, seeing that to me, it was like, all right, you know, it's like the, the door is wide open now for women in this industry, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was, people ask me a lot about that magazine and I'm so grateful for that opportunity. But the cool thing that I try to share with people it, they didn't ask me to be on the cover because, oh, Eva Shockey's such a big deal by any means. It was the whole issue was it was called what's next. So like what's coming next in the industry and hunting in the outdoors and me being on the cover. I was just representing women in general. I was representing that the thing that's happening next is all these girls are starting to realize how cool hunting is and how you can be proud of it. And you don't have to apologize. And I was there on the cover to say, yes, Field and Stream and every other magazine probably out there hasn't put a lot of female hunters on their covers, but now we're here. We're not going anywhere. Our numbers are getting bigger and bigger. And it's something that, you know, is an incredible thing and we're all very proud of. And I thought it was very, very cool of Field and Stream to actually recognize that and represent us so strongly on there. Well, you know, and you talk about what's next, and I think it's, I got to draw the parallel because uh, I'm a professional off-road racer, and I'm, you know, and I'm a brand ambassador for Polaris Razor, and, you know, when I, I started out in the industry, you know what I mean, there, there wasn't a lot of women in the off-road industry, recreational or racing, but now I see, you know, here, you know, I'm 36 now, and I see these young girls at 11, 12, 13 years old, they're driving Polaris Razors and racing competitively, and, and I would say, you know, there's probably 30 or 40 percent of the young up-and-coming racers are now female and uh you know and they're enjoying off-roading and the outdoors and things like that and i see that and i go you know this is remarkable that you know you've got off-road industry you've got the hunting industry and and you know and girls it's like these young girls are like no we can do this too we can we can play with the boys and i think that's so amazing you know that we're in a, a time period you know in in this country where you know young girls can do anything a boy can do yeah, I, I agree with that. And then just a couple of days ago, this something like this came up in my life that um, I was, I always wanted to do my motorcycle license course, like get my motorcycle license. And for no particular reason, I, I didn't, my dad had one and he drove it a, or he rode it a little bit when I was younger. I just always thought it'd be cool. And it was something that I've always been like, oh, that's kind of for like, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty girly. I'm pretty feminine and whatever. And I think of people that drive motorcycles are a little more like tough and rough. And I'm like, I don't know that I would fit. And then I had to tell myself last week that like, it's the same exact thing as this hunting thing that I've spent my whole life sort of preaching to people is that I don't need to be a certain way. I don't have to look a certain way. I can wear makeup and be on a Harley. And I, I have no nothing bad to say about people that ride Harleys by any means. I just was like, oh, I don't know if I would fit in because you know, it's sort of a stereotype you have in your head. And I decided last week I'm going to go take my, my motorcycle license just because it's something that 
it's different and it's I love being like you know what I don't have to apologize and maybe girls aren't traditionally on these things but I think it's so cool to have on my driver's license that I have my motorcycle license for no real reason just to just to prove that we can do anything that we want to do absolutely I think that's awesome man I I can't wait to see uh, the social media pictures when you get your bike that'll be be my my husband Tim actually said I'm trying to do it with one of my girlfriends just so I can go in with someone to the course and he said him and and my my friend's husband they're gonna have popcorn and go sit in the stand and <laughs> sit there and watch us take our motorcycle license. <laughs> oh, too funny! That could be its own TV episode right there. I think. That would be... <laughs> yeah, hopefully we're not gonna tell when we do it. <laughs> yeah. uh, do it in secret. And you just show them the license afterwards, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, before we let you go, taking aim. I know uh, it comes out later this month. Uh, Daring to be different, happier, and healthier in the great outdoors. Tell us a little bit about the book and uh, where people can find this at. It's real. So the book is something I've been working on for a couple years now. For a year solid, we were writing it, and then I I started writing it the week I was found out I was pregnant with my daughter Lenny, and then I finished the last chapter before all the edits and stuff the week I was due with her. So the whole sort of nine and a half months, um, I was writing nonstop every single day for hours, and then I finished it up, and then so we've been working on it since January, all the edits and doing everything else. There's a lot involved with the book, but. It's essentially about everything we've been talking about in this podcast. It's just doing what you love, following your dreams. You don't have to worry about people judging you and saying you shouldn't do something or you don't fit in this group or you don't fit in this box. I mean, do whatever it is that you want to do that makes you happy because it's your life and only you know what it is that you want. And throughout the book, there's there's a lot of stories of my family and sort of how I got to where I am and the decisions I made. But throughout those stories I'm trying to encourage people to kind of do the same of don't be apologetic don't worry about anyone else judging you just do it um and that's that's kind of what it is and it's actually for it definitely is meant to appeal to hunters and I it it will appeal to hunters because there's a lot of hunting stories but it's meant to appeal to everybody it's not anyone that kind of needs a little bit of encouragement to a little push to follow it is what they want to do whether it's get their degree or go get a promotion or find a new job or, you know, quit their job and do something they've always loved. It's, it's meant to encourage everybody sort of in the same way. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because I've literally, I've got a copy of the book sitting here on my desk that, uh, that you guys were nice enough to send me and uh, my office. I, I share an office building with my dad and, uh, it's sitting in there and he comes in and he's like, Oh, who are you interviewing today? And, uh, you know, and I kind of told him and, uh, and then he saw the book on the desk and he, he, he literally picks it up, starts walking out the door. I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, well, I want to read this. And I'm like, well, I'm not done with it yet. You know, but it was funny. Like, he just grabbed it. It was like, it was his, but you talk about being appeal- appealing to hunters and he looked at it, read like the back cover and he's immediately like well this is going on with me i'm like no it's not <laughs> so, uh, yeah it was a it was a very fine line having to write it in a way so that it appeals to hunters and doesn't over explain things so that a hunter would be bored with it they're still they're still going to be reading it and being like interested in the stories but it also has to appeal to somebody that has no idea about hunting or about any of the rules or about what you know what a ground blind means or a tree stand means so you have to kind of word it carefully so that it you are explaining enough so that people that don't know about it can understand it and then vice versa that they do that they're not bored so it kind of walks a fine little line all the way through the book but I've had a lot of feedback on it already and I got feedback from hunters and non-hunters and it's been positive so I'm I'm really excited. August 29th, it officially launches. I'll be doing a media tour in New York and then actually a book tour across Texas 
um, the following week. So I'll, I'll be visiting a lot of people and hopefully a lot of people will come up and get a chance to get it. Yeah, very cool. And I know it'll be available at, uh, I'm, I'm sure most of, uh, you know, the regular bookstores, but I believe Cabela's as well, right? Yes, Cabela's is going to carry it. Also, the cool thing that we're doing right now, which a lot of people have been loving, the how we were talking about recipes. I put together a, a group of my favorite recipes and made a recipe book. And the only way, it's not for sale. No one can buy it. It's actually free. But the only way to get it is if you pre-order Taking Aim. So if you go to evashaki.com, you can pre-order Taking Aim. And then you can use that code from the order and get my free recipe book. It'll come right to your computer that, that minute, and you'll have all my favorite recipes. Very cool. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to your recipes. I'm going to try out the uh, poppers this weekend, and I can tell you I'm going to tag you on the Instagram picture when I do it. So, <laughs> Perfect. Please do. <laughs> well, I appreciate the time, Ava. Um, you know, good luck with uh, the book. It's uh, an amazing read so far. I'm looking forward to finishing it, and uh, I'd love to catch up with you, man, after uh, after the book tour or something like that, maybe later this year, at, uh, you know, and see how everything's yeah. going. But it's uh, been lots of fun. I'd love to. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Anytime you want me on here, I'll be back. All right. Thanks a lot, Ava. Take it easy. Man, got to love that interview with Ava Shockey. Don't forget her book out in stores this week. It's called Taking Aim. Actually, it's called Daring to be Different, Happier, and Healthier in the Great Outdoors. Taking Aim with Ava Shockey. Uh, definitely go and check that out. I got a copy right here in my hand, and I got to tell you, it's an amazing read. You guys are definitely, definitely going to love it. So it's Taking Aim by Ava Shockey. Uh, make sure and uh, get that dialed in. Speaking of getting dialed in, please go to podcastone.com. Fill out that survey. When you do, it only takes a couple of minutes. They ask for no personal information, but please, please, please uh, make sure and uh, – Click the box for Project Action. And then if you listen to my other show, the Down and Dirty Radio Show, it's just Down and Dirty on that survey, click Down and Dirty. Please do that, and it's definitely going to help me out, as well as uh, rating, reviewing, and subscribing on iTunes. Easiest way to get Project Action sent directly to you is uh, checking it out there on iTunes. Uh, but uh, thanks to all of you guys for tuning in each and every week. You can follow me at JimBeaver15 on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, I love hearing from you guys. I love your fan feedback. And uh, make sure and go and check out all that social media and videos we've pumping at, been pumping out for Razor Star Car there on my social media as well. We will be back next week with another guest here on Project Action on Podcast One from the Polaris Razor Studios. As always, be safe and game on. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Imagine.
Imagine a world where animals and humans coexist in harmony, where wild animals thrive, habitats are protected, and marginalized communities are empowered. At International Animal Rescue, this is our vision. Our holistic, community-led projects not only rescue animals, but also protect and replenish precious habitats, creating a better future for us all. But we can't do this without you. Show your support now and help keep the wild wild. Visit internationalanimalrescue.org.